Hey, Grace, thank you so much for joining us today um, online. We hope that you'll chat it up. I just want to double down on some things that Matt and Brian just said, but the first thing I want to say is we're praying for you. This is an unprecedented time. I've never experienced anything like this. And I want you to know that I'm praying for you. Our staff is praying for you. If you have a need, don't hesitate to let us know. Right? If you have a need, don't hesitate to let us know. Don't hesitate to let us know if you know somebody else who is in need. We are thrilled to be able to support our local partners. We're thrilled that you help us. I mean, we couldn't do it without you. Support our local partners. You know, that's what I love about this church. I had planned on getting up here today, and one of the first things saying is, I love my church. And I actually got a, an email from somebody, and they were, they were saying, Hey, um, I'm here to help. What can we do? And I said, hey, we've already got these things in place. And they shot me an email right back and say, that's why I love my church. And I said, that's why I love my church. You guys are awesome. You're incredible. We've had so many people reach out, just a ton of emails, phone calls, text messages. Hey, what are we doing? We know you're doing something. We want to help. So thank you so much for your incredible heart to want to serve and make a difference. Look, we want to ease the fears and meet the needs of this great city that we live in. And along the way, uh, you know, we're praying. We're praying for a couple things that are important. Right? So our healthcare workers, I mean, they're exhausted. We're praying about that. We're praying about these brilliant scientists who are working on this situation that just God would give them wisdom that we would solve this. So pray with us about these very important things that God would step in, give us wisdom, give us help. During this time of social distancing doesn't mean that we have to experience spiritual distancing or emotional distancing. So during this time, I would encourage you to connect with us Every single Sunday online for however long this takes. We're going to connect. We want to hear what your prayers are. We want to hear what God's doing, you know, in your life. We want to keep this, this communication stream wide open. So please uh, connect with us. Connect with us during the week, whether that's through social media or some other means. But don't hesitate to do that because we really feel that this is important just because we're social distancing. Again, we don't have to be emotionally distant and we definitely don't have to be spiritually distant. We want to connect with you. We're praying for you. Okay. Um, you know, this whole Corona thing, here's my thing. It's overwhelming. Like I'm reading stuff all the time. I'm watching stuff all the time. I'm figuring that most of you are probably the same way. And so, I thought about like just totally scrapping the message for today and, and just talking about fear, or just talking specifically directly about Corona. And I decided not to because we, we've done that um, quite a bit. And in an indirect way, I am going to deal with Corona. But I felt like I needed a break. And um, I felt like maybe probably you need a break too. So I'm going to... I'm going to adapt my message, but I'm going to go on my message. So before I actually get into it, I want to say this. For parents that have little kids, like if you were here uh, with us today at the TJ Auditorium, you'd walk in, you'd see mature content-only signs. And uh, that's because the title of the message. So I haven't said it yet. So if you have a little one around you and you've seen the title of the message and you don't want to have to explain, the message isn't really gritty or anything like that, but 
you see the title, and so I'm getting ready to say it. So I'm just trying, I'm just trying to warn you again. The message isn't really gritty, but I just want to say that uh, before I get started. Okay, so here we go. The title of the message today is "Stop Dropping Biblical." F-bombs. Now, I'm going to try to explain that, and I'm going to start with a true story uh, that hopefully uh, makes sense of that whole thing. So there's a seminary. It's in Scotland, and in this seminary in Scotland, it's a very international seminary. People come from all over the world. Pastors come from all over the world to either learn or to teach. Professors come from all over the world to either learn or teach. So it's very international. So the professors at this Scottish seminary used to They used to go into the airport and picking up people who were coming in from wherever, uh, you know, for this purpose. So anyway, uh, one day this Scottish professor, uh, on a normal basis, they were going to the, um, to the airport. And so they were assigned to go pick somebody up. It was a pastor and the pastor's wife. And they were from Georgia. They were from Georgia. And so they go and they pick up the pastor and the pastor was getting in the front seat and the pastor's wife was getting in the back seat. And the pastor's wife opened the door, looked in and dropped the F-bomb. Yes. Totally dropped the F-bomb and caught the Scottish professor off guard. They're like, man, you know, I know people are using the F-bomb a lot, uh, but I didn't know that pastor's wives from Georgia were using the F-bomb just so freely. And so uh, they just kind of filed it away. And next week, the, the Scottish professor was picking up two other professors from the United States of America, and the Scottish professor knew these two professors well. And so they, you know, airport, get in the car and said, I got to tell you a story. Man, I picked up this uh, pastor and this pastor's wife, and they're from Georgia, and uh, the pastor's wife opened the back door, looked in and dropped the F-bomb. When did that become, you know, so... I mean, what's going on here? Can you explain this to me? And one professor just starts laughing his head off and says to the Scottish professor, would you mind spelling for me the F-bomb that the pastor's wife uh, said? And so the Scottish professor said, yes, F-A-N-N-Y. They said Fanny. They looked into the back seat of the car and said, I'm going to park my Fanny right here. Well, here's the deal. In Scotland, the F-bomb, Fanny, means something totally different than what it means in Georgia, right? Fanny is different in Scotland than is, don't, don't look it up. I know you're tempted right now. You want to look it up, but don't do it. Don't don't do it. After the message, look it up, right? But, but anyway, there was a, there was a misunderstanding. Why? Because culture and context. So we can drop F-bombs when we don't understand culture and context. And we can drop biblical F-bombs when we don't understand the culture in the context of the Bible or of Jesus. And we want to talk about an F-bomb today that's being dropped quite often. Now, we've been saying this a lot, everybody, through this series we're doing on John. John's this amazing book, right? The identity of Jesus is really what John is after. And we've been saying it's layers deep, like it's levels deep. If you just stay at the surface, you can really misunderstand some stuff going on. But if you take it down, if you take it down into the, into the levels, layers deep, man, there's a deepness, there's a richness, there's like the real meat of what it's really talking about. So that's what we're going to do today. And this is what I want to say. If you don't understand this one thing about Jesus, you're not going to understand anything about Jesus. If you don't understand this one thing about Jesus, you're not going to understand anything about Jesus. It is the key to everything. It's the key to making our life go. Now, I just want to read you the story because it's a pretty great story. John chapter 5. It's amazing. It's a turning point in Jesus' life. Here's what it says. Now, there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. And which is surrounded by five 
covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years, a long time. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in that condition, this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. Very important. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning. Or something worse may happen to you. The man went away, told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. Now, everybody, this is a major turning point in the life of Jesus Christ, particularly in the story of Jesus as contained in the book of John, the gospel of John. Because it is at this point that he has a price on his head. He's a hunted man. He will eventually die the most cruel and humiliating death, and it all starts right here. This is the turning point. Now, there's a lot of interesting details in here, and Bible scholars are quite confused about all these details. Like, what exactly do they mean? One says this, one says others. We don't know. There's a lot of interesting things. I want to go through a couple of those things, right? It says that he had been an invalid for 38 years. That's very specific. People are like... We know that means something, but what does it mean? I don't know. Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? Why is Jesus asking a man he's been lying there for 38 years on a mat, do you want to get well? Of course he wants to get well. Why did Jesus ask him? Is he culpable in some way in his sickness? I don't know. It says the water is stirred. Well, the water is stirred. Whoever gets in first, they get healed. Is that superstition? Is that real? Did the water really get stirred? Is there a spring underneath? I don't know. Jesus says, stop sinning or something worse might happen to you. I don't know what can be worse than lying on a mat for 38 years. But he says, stop sinning or something worse is going to happen to you. Why did Jesus say that? I don't know. The man doesn't seem to be grateful. He doesn't know Jesus' name. He doesn't say thank you to Jesus. He doesn't hug Jesus. Jesus comes and finds him a second time in the temple, which was a little ways from this Bethesda pool, right? This pool of Bethesda is like two large pools the size of football fields. It's a little ways away from the temple, but Jesus finds through the crowd, he finds the man a second time. And he speaks to him. And right after that, the man goes and finds the Jewish leaders and says, hey, I didn't know who it was before. It's Jesus. That's the guy you want. And they know he's, they, they, they know that the, he knows the Jewish leaders are ticked off at Jesus. So in a sense, it looks like he's not grateful. It actually looks like he is betraying Jesus. He never becomes a follower of Jesus. Like a man who had a similar type illness. He was born blind in John chapter nine. So we don't know what's, we don't know what's going on there. So there's so many things that we 
don't know, but we do know it is this story that leads to the most cruel and humiliating death possible for Jesus Christ. There's many things we don't know. But here's one thing we do know, and everybody's clear on that. So there's so many things here that we don't know, but there's one thing that we do know, and that is that John chapter 5 is about the Sabbath. Actually, Jesus starts in on this whole thing. He heals the man on the Sabbath, then he starts in on this whole thing about the Sabbath. And for the next couple chapters, it's all about the Sabbath. The key to everything is the Sabbath. What is the Sabbath all about? Is the Sabbath the day that you take a day off? Is the Sabbath the day that you take rest? Okay, yes, of course. Is the Sabbath the day that you go, you go to church? What exactly is the Sabbath? The Sabbath is the key to all of this. So we need to understand the Sabbath. You might say, hey, 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 you know what? I, I don't, I don't really care about the Sabbath. It doesn't seem to mean anything to me. How does that apply to my relevance? I just want to ask you, hold on. Wait a second. The Sabbath might have a whole lot to do with your life. Like you might really, really need to have a deep understanding of the Sabbath. And so here's the key. What exactly is the Sabbath? The Sabbath is central to our understanding who Jesus is. Now we're in a series called, Who Are You? And what we've been saying is from John, that John is giving us a clear picture of exactly who Jesus is. Because once I know who he is, I'll know who I am because I'm created in his image. I am not Jesus, but I've been created in his image. And when I understand his identity, I'll understand my identity. And that changes everything about me. So what is the Sabbath? right? Their lives revolved around the Sabbath. So when this happens in John chapter 5, we need to know this. And for many, a couple thousand years prior to that, right, their lives had been revolving and still were revolving around the Sabbath. The Sabbath was central. Genesis chapter 1 introduces to us for the first time what the Sabbath is. Genesis chapter 1 does that. There's in Genesis 1, it says there's seven days creation and everything is leading to the seventh day and the seventh day is the Sabbath day. We are told that God blesses the seventh day, the Sabbath day, and he makes it holy. And I've always wondered about that. If you've ever read Genesis chapter 1, if you ever have read it, have you, have you wondered about that too? What does it mean to bless a day? Like this day is holy. This is a holy day. They believed in their culture and in their context, they believed that the angels even kept the Sabbath. They believed that the Sabbath day was holier than any other day. Some rabbis believed that observing the Sabbath was the most important of all the commands. Like you think about the famous Ten Commandments. The fourth command is to keep the Sabbath. They believed, think about this, that Keeping the Sabbath outweighed everything else, right? There's lying, cheating, all kinds of stuff in the Ten Commandments. It outweighed everything else. Now, John, the Gospel of John, we've been saying this constantly, is a second Genesis. The book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. John, the Gospel of John begins in the beginning, same way. It's a second, it's a second Genesis. It's layers deep. And so we have to understand at the deepest level, what is this? Because that's going to be the key for us understanding everything. If you don't understand this one thing about Jesus, you're not going to understand anything about Jesus. If you don't understand this one thing about Jesus, you're not going to understand anything about Jesus. Once you do understand this key, once you do understand this one thing, all of a sudden the whole Bible begins to take a whole lot more shape for you. It just, comes into clarity. And this is what John is really all about. As I said a second ago, Genesis 1 introduces us to the Sabbath. Now here, I got to say this though. Many of you probably know this. 
Genesis 1 has become divisive. Genesis chapter 1, people think is totally irrelevant. I don't need Genesis 1. Like science has made Genesis chapter 1 irrelevant to my life. I don't understand it. It doesn't jive with science. So I don't really need Genesis chapter 1. So become divisive. We argue about Genesis chapter 1. And yet it's Genesis chapter 1 that introduces us to the Sabbath. When we have a misunderstanding about culture and context, when we have a misunderstanding about that, we can drop a biblical F-bomb. And Genesis chapter 1, for many, many people in our world, has become a biblical F-bomb because of culture and context. And so we're going to go right at it today. We're going to go down deep and say, what really is Genesis chapter 1 about? A biblical F-bomb, which we need to stop dropping, everybody, is when we misunderstand culture and context on a deeper level, when we don't take time to think through what's going on. That's what a biblical F-bomb is, because what we end up doing a lot of times is we take our culture and our context and we impose it on the Bible or we impose it on Jesus And then we recreate the Bible or we recreate Jesus Christ in our image. We're created in his image. He's not created in our image. And so we drop these F-bombs and we have to stop doing that. So we can go deeper and we can understand this. And that's what we're going to do today. So on the deepest level, what is Genesis chapter 1 really telling us about? All right. The number 7. Number 7 is going to be a big, big deal here. The number seven. Number seven is the number of the covenant. Everything in Genesis chapter one is surrounded by sevens. It points toward a seven. Everything in the seven days of creation points to the seventh day. It's all about the Sabbath and it's all about the number seven. Much of this information I'm going to give to you, it's found in other places, but Gordon Wenham, Gordon Wenham, his commentary on the book of Genesis is considered one of the best ever written, and you can find that. I, I left his uh, name there on the outline, so should be on the screen for you. Gordon Wenham, one of the best commentaries on Genesis, and you can find a lot of this information and a whole lot more because I'm only going to give you some of it, but there is more of it, all right? So three Hebrew words, Sheva, Shevua, and Shabbat. You can see them on the screen. Those are three Hebrew words. They are extremely similar. They all come together. Shavua, Sheva, Sheva means seven. Shavua is the same word for taking an oath, like in a covenant. And a covenant is like a contract, just much bigger, more permanent. It's an eternal contract. It's a cosmic contract. It's the kind of contract that God enters into with us. It's the same word. And then Shavat, Shabbat, right, for Sabbath. Now, here we go. Genesis chapter 1, verse number 1, contains seven Hebrew words and three nouns. Later on, after Genesis 1-1, you see these three nouns. God is used 35 times, obviously a multiple of seven. Heavens is used 21 times and earth is used 21 times. So to start the whole thing off, Genesis 1-1 is like an introduction to the entire chapter, this amazing, phenomenal chapter, seven Hebrew words are there. So right from the get-go, we're like, whoa, there's seven Hebrew words. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Did you know there were seven Hebrew words in that? Let, let, me, let me give you some other things. Genesis chapter 1, verse number 2 has 14 Hebrew words. 
So now we've doubled it. Seven, now we're up to 14. Starting with Genesis chapter one, verse number two, there are seven paragraphs about the seven days of creation. Are you seeing a theme here? The terms light and day occur seven times in the first paragraph. The phrase, it was good, occurs seven times in Genesis chapter 1. The seventh occurrence is, it was very good. The seventh paragraph is about the seventh day and has a total of 35 words. Within those 35 words, there are three sentences, each consisting of seven words. And in the middle of each of those three sentences is the phrase, the seventh day. I'm not giving you all the sevens. I've only given you a couple of the sevens. What I'm telling you is there's hundreds of sevens. There's an ocean of sevens in Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one just keeps like making it so obvious, seven, 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 seven. Seven is the number of covenant. Seven is the number of Sabbath. Seven is the number that God is saying, I am covenanting with you, or I am sevening myself with all of creation. I am binding myself to all of creation. Now, here's the question. Did you know that? Like for me, the only discussions that I have had around this issue, Genesis chapter one, is Sabbath. How do I keep it holy? What do I work or when do I not work or what can I do? What kind of work can I do on the Sabbath day? Maybe some of you had those. That discussion isn't as popular. I remember my grandmother's church growing up. They would have that discussion. Oh, you can't work on the Sabbath day. And people who worked on the Sabbath day were bad people. They were people who were sinning. You can't work on the Sabbath day. And I remember in, in her church, they would really kind of come down. How can anybody work on the Sabbath day? Sunday, right? Sabbath was Saturday, but in the Christian world, it is now on Sunday because of the resurrection. You can't work. And then after church, after they would come down on people for working on the Sabbath, they would all go out to eat at a restaurant and pay somebody to work on the Sabbath. So it kind of didn't make sense. You know what I'm saying? So we enter into these arguments about what you can and cannot do on the Sabbath day. Or we enter into arguments about the age of the universe. And any way you cut it, when we don't understand the culture and the context of what's going on, Genesis chapter 1, this amazing chapter, which is about the covenant, unconditional love of God, has become a biblical F-bomb because we didn't bother to go the layers of deep. The thing that God was shouting at us over and over, my love for you is unconditional. I am covenanting myself to all of creation. I'll never let it go. I'm like super gluing myself. Like I'm going to bind myself to all of creation that you cannot break loose from me from my covenant love, unconditional love. It's absolutely amazing. All right, a biblical scholar, Umberto Casuto says this, to suppose that all of this is mere coincidence is not possible. It's not possible to have hundreds of sevens there. It's just so obvious what it's, what it's meaning. Let me, I'm gonna read another, uh, another uh, um, quote here from Bible scholar and author, great book, The House of the Lord by Stephen Smith. This is what he says. As God creates, his glorious acts of creation cry out 
that he is sevening himself to creation. God is covenanting with creation. Through creation, binding himself, sevening himself to all creation. God has eternally, in Genesis, right out of the starting block, God has bound himself to all of creation. And when we reduce it, when we take it only at the surface level, in our culture, in our context, we argue about what you can and cannot do. We argue about science. And we say, oh, it's irrelevant. What do I care about Sabbath? Science has made it irrelevant. We argue about the age of the universe. But there is no argument, zero argument, about humanity's need for unconditional love. No argument. And actually what science says, here's what science says. We are desperate for Genesis chapter 1. Social scientists tell us we are desperate for unconditional love. That that actually brings us peace. That it leaves our anxiety. Anxiety that we feel in our world all the time and especially so right now. So actually, Genesis chapter 1 is so relevant and so needed according to science. We say science has no need for Genesis chapter 1. And actually, God in all of his amazing brilliance says, I'm going to tell you right out of the starting gates what scientists are going to tell you that you desperately need, and that is the unconditional love of God. Everybody knows we, we crave it. And so some people are saying, get Genesis 1 away from it. Can we just not talk about that? And actually, Genesis chapter 1 holds the answer. The unconditional love of God. That is exciting. That is amazing. That's what we need. And God is shouting it from the mountaintops with an ocean of sevens right here in the beginning of all of it. It cannot be ignored. So what is the Sabbath? Happens once a week. Maybe you celebrate it on Saturday. Maybe you celebrate it on Sunday. Happens once a week. Once a week, we are reminded with a perpetual reminder of the covenant love of God. Because in their context, story was everything. And the story is this. Every single week, you're reminded, just in case I forget. Just in case during times I feel like, well, there's no way God could love me. Or there's no way God could love you. I'm reminded every single week. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, God does. The man, the man who'd been an invalid for 38 years, he does not seem grateful. Right? He doesn't seem grateful. He actually, what it comes off is, he looks like he betrays Jesus and ends up, Jesus, turning point in his life, he ends up dying the most cruel, humiliating death possible. And it seems like his arms are totally closed to Jesus. Whether you feel like God loves you or not, God loves you. That's what Genesis 1 means. Whether your arms are open wide to Jesus or they're closed to Jesus, Jesus knew that. He knew that's what the invalid man was going to do, and yet he found him twice, loved him, healed him, because that's what Genesis 1 requires. That's what covenant requires, that God would do this. And now the rest of the Bible begins to make sense. So when, when we read those famous words in the Bible, says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, that's covenant language. That's covenant. I got, God's saying, I'm required because the covenant I made in Genesis chapter 1, I've super glued myself to all of my creation. Now all of a sudden it makes sense. I can't leave you. I can't forsake you. I'm coming for you. I'm going to come and just keep showering love. Maybe you're going to distance yourself. Maybe you're going to do stuff to try to push me away, but I'm just going to be standing right here saying I love you with my arms open wide over and over again. All of a sudden the Bible begins to make sense. The Bible talks so much about restoration. It says, I will restore all things. All things. The word all means all. That's what it means, whether it's Hebrew or English. It means all. When the Bible says nothing will separate you from the love of God, angels and demons won't do it. 
The present and the future won't do it. We start seeing Jesus everywhere. This is why Jesus Christ entered this world, because the covenant requires that he comes for us. That's what the covenant love requires. If you have somebody who loves you desperately, if you have somebody who loves you incredibly, they're going to come for you in your time of need. The covenant requires it. That's why Jesus enters the world. That's why he teaches. That's why he lives. That's why he dies. That's why he rises again. Everything about Jesus, the covenant requires it. Isaiah 49, I just want to read you this one verse. They had made some terrible mistakes in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is a great book. They had made some terrible mistakes. They did not feel good about some things they've done. Obviously, they had made these terrible mistakes. And God in Isaiah 49 just starts blitzing them with this overwhelming thought that God will restore them even when they feel terrible, even if they feel like they have wrecked their life, like their life was a train wreck. And God says, I will restore you. Then he says this, Isaiah 49, 15. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, and she won't, and she won't, Though she may forget, I will never forget you. That's covenant love right there. Wherever you are right now, whatever's going on in your life, no matter how bad you feel, no matter how angry, maybe you feel like God doesn't exist. Maybe you feel, I don't believe in God. Maybe you feel great right now. Maybe you're on a mountaintop. Maybe you're on a spiritual high. Doesn't matter where you are, God is constant. He will not forget you. He will restore you. Whether you feel like you need to be restored or not, he wants to restore you and restore all of, check this out, everybody, all of creation. We're in a major time of, it's unprecedented. I've never experienced anything like this. God is going to restore all of creation back to the way it was. That is his covenant. For the invalid, last thing, for the invalid, in that culture and context, he's, he's all alone for 38 years. Nobody's helping him. I mean, in the Mediterranean world where he was 2,000 years ago, you see somebody invalid like that, you steer clear, don't come near. Steer clear, don't come near. Sometimes we even think we're being spiritual, right, when we steer clear of certain people and don't come near. Didn't seem to bother Jesus. Jesus walks right up to people that nobody else will walk right up to. For 38 years, nobody can help that man. For 38 years, nobody could bother helping that man. Didn't bother Jesus. Jesus walked right to him. There are times there's people or groups of people that we say, steer clear, don't go near. And Jesus walking right to him. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means you follow him right on over to those people. Because that's what Jesus does. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about social distancing right now. I'm talking about we can help people with our words. We can help people by explaining to them what does Genesis chapter 1 really mean. Because people think it's an argument waiting to happen. I want to tell you in conclusion why I'm so fired up about Genesis chapter 1. Because Genesis chapter 1, instead of people saying, oh man, it has no relevance to my life, science has made it irrelevant, or I don't like the Bible because all it is about is sin and tearing people down, Genesis chapter 1 is about the very thing that science says we need. Aren't you excited about telling people that God has an overwhelming, unconditional covenant love for all people? Because that shapes us. It shapes our identity in Him. It shapes our identity to know that we're loved unconditionally. When we experience conditional love, it rocks our world in a negative way. But when we experience unconditional love, which scientists tell us we desperately need, it blesses our world. It brings peace. It brings purpose. It brings power. It, it dissolves anxiety, which is something we desperately read right now. So we need to stop. 
dropping biblical f-bombs we need to go far deeper in our understanding of what genesis chapter one is really all about and my challenge you today is will you follow jesus will you follow jesus because jesus is heading somewhere will you follow him no matter what to share his good news of covenant love with all people hey heroes who are heroes I think back to September 11th, and we always say this, right? Heroes. The heroes were running in while everybody was running out. The heroes were running in while everyone was running out. You want to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is a hero. He walks towards people that other people stand back from. Nobody approached this man for 38 years. He walked straight up to him. We need to walk up to people and tell them the good news, which is the covenant love of Jesus Christ, which is Genesis chapter 1. Start to finish. Now, I'd like to invite somebody up here who's going to help me uh, with this for just a second. His name is Tom Rousey. Tom, come right on up. Tom, social distancing. Not going to touch you, man. Not going to touch you. Tom is a great guy. Tom has been coming to Grace for about a decade now, right, Tom? Almost. Almost a decade. Tom and I grew up in two very, very similar church backgrounds. And by the way, Tom is a superstar reporter for Channel 7, Channel 8 News, anchored the news yesterday on Channel 8. Fantastic job, Tom. I think you also do voiceover work for us on our podcast, which is absolutely awesome. Listen, uh, Tom and I said this a second ago, we have similar church backgrounds. Tom and I have a passion for creating a safe place for every single person to learn about Jesus. Now, our backgrounds uh, don't necessarily lend itself to that. Our backgrounds, at least with church, with church, maybe not necessarily always lent itself to creating a safe place for everybody to learn about Jesus. But Tom and I have become very interested in this as we have studied Jesus, and we're studying Jesus through the Gospel of John now. We want to create a safe place for people to learn about Jesus. To this day, Tom, the number one question that I get still to this day is, Is Grace Community Church a safe place for people in the LGBTQ community to learn about Jesus? So Tom and I have uh, talked about that. We've prayed about that. We've thought about that. And there's, there's no confusion. Jesus Christ wants to create a safe place for everybody to learn about him because Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. So, Tom, uh, you began, so we began something together, right? You're leading this thing. Tell us all about it. Yeah, we started a group in September for the LGBTQ community here at Grace and outside Grace in some cases. And uh, it's started with three or four people and it's grown a lot since then. And basically, I, I hear the same story over and over. It's folks who wanted to go to church and felt like the church didn't welcome them like Jesus would at all. And I hear that time and time again, and I hear people who say they didn't even feel like they were welcome to come learn about Jesus. So we started this group because we want people to have a safe place to learn about Jesus. And in fact, that's all we've been doing the last few months, going through John with the rest of the church, the book of John, um, and learning about Jesus. And I've been asking people, uh, knowing I was going to speak today, I asked them, I said, uh, just share a line or two about what the group means to you, some of the members. And so I'm going to share a couple of those. We have a member named Rodney who got back to me and he said every week he's kind of reminded of how unconditional God's love is with a group of people he now calls friends. Um, There's a woman named Cynthia who comes and she told me it may just be the most loving and embracing group of people she's ever been around in her life. And there's another member named Jack who comes and he says he really enjoys learning the stories of people of different backgrounds, different ages, who all share Jesus in common. 
And I can tell you on a personal level, you just said, I've been around church my whole life. You've been around church your whole life. I have never been involved in a group of people that were more excited to come meet and learn about Jesus than this LGBTQ group, John. Yeah, so we want to be incredibly clear here. Jesus is really clear here. Genesis chapter 1, John chapter 5, Jesus is really clear. Jesus is the answer, and we want to create a place, a safe place for people to learn about Jesus. Tom's email is up on the screen. TomRousey, gmail.com, right? TomRouseyGmail.com. TomRousey, yep. two S's in Rousey, TomRouseyGmail.com. Email Tom if you're interested in this. Want to ask questions. Tom is happy to connect with you because our deal is, whether it's LGBTQ or somebody else, could be a scientist, could be a scientist like, oh yeah, the Bible, Genesis 1 makes, makes it irrelevant. Actually, science tells us how relevant Genesis 1 is. I don't care what it is, whatever it might be, but we want to create a safe place for people to learn about Jesus because Jesus is the answer. Now we're going to end with this, Tom. The music team is going to lead us in a song, Reckless Love. Reckless Love is all about the unconditional covenant love of God. It says it's a love that's overwhelming. That's covenant love. It's never ending. That's covenant love. It's a, the reckless love of God. It's, Jesus was reckless. Not everybody understood Jesus. People criticized Jesus because he would walk up to everybody like this invalid man who nobody else would walk up to. Steer clear, don't go near. But if you want to follow Jesus, if you're serious about being a follower of Jesus, then you have to follow Jesus and what he does. He fights till I'm found. He leaves the 99. Then his last line I want to give to you, right? Even when I was your foe, still your love still fought for me. This is who Jesus Christ is. So please, enjoy the music team as they sing and worship right along with them. Worship the incredible covenant love of God. Thanks for being with us. If you will, bow your heads with me this morning. God, your reckless love chases us down and pursues us. There is nothing that will stand in its way. Lord, no matter what we are facing, no matter what we are fearing, your love says, peace be still. We thank you for that. And this morning we ask that you would bring peace, that you would bring healing, and that this week we would begin to see a change in your name. Amen.